Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Laura. This is where work meets life. And I am delighted today to bring you an episode with Dr. Shauna Pandya. Dr. Shauna Pandya has a prolific career experience and set of uh, expertise, including space, medicine, exploration, technology, research, innovation, and education. So she spans a lot of different fields. She's a Canadian physician. She's a scientist astronaut candidate with the International Institute for Aeronautical Sciences. Wow, that was a mouthful for me. She's an aquanaut, which is really interesting, and we're going to learn more what an aquanaut is. She's also a speaker, like me, uh, but that's where uh, we our commonality ends. She's a martial artist, not like me, an advanced diver, a skydiver, a pilot in training. She's also, in her spare time, <laughs> just kidding, VP of Immersive Medicine with Luxonic Technologies, and an Associate Fellow of the Aerospace Medicine Association, and a Fellow of the Explorers Club. She holds degrees in neuroscience, uh, as well as a Master's degree in Space Studies, and an MD from the University of Alberta. So I'm so proud to call you a fellow Albertan. She's also very entrepreneurial, which you will learn about. Some of her claims to fame testing a commercial spacesuit, uh, the first one in zero gravity in 2015. She was also a commander in 2020 uh, during the tour of the Mars Desert Research Station. Um, and in 2022, she found herself in Poland and the Ukraine due to her extreme medicine training, helping uh, those refugees displaced um, and hurt by this terrible war. So just those are a few highlights here. She was uh, chosen as one of the 50 explorers changing the world. How magnificent is that? And I'm certain that I've left things out. Dr. Pandya, anything else that you want to share with us about who you are? Um, honestly, I think that was a pretty good introduction. Um, I'm really thrilled to be here and really thrilled to have a conversation with you today. Wonderful. So the title of this episode, we're going to talk about From Sea to Space, the quest to help humanity survive and thrive, which is quite a lofty goal, but I can't think of a more inspiring, talented and high energy person uh, to seek and, and achieve this goal, Dr. Pandya. Well, thank you so much, Felsay. There's always lots of caffeine involved. So uh, that's where some of the energy comes from. Okay, because you do have some secrets to share, I am sure. But tell us what led you to focus your career on the combination of medicine, space, as well as sea exploration and what an aquanaut involves. Yeah, that's a great question. So often I get asked, you know, what what is space medicine? Why does that exist? Why are those two terms even together? And um, the origin story uh, stems from when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut like so many other kids. And I was growing up in Canada when Canada's first ever female astronaut, Dr. Roberta Bondar, flew to space. And I was so inspired by that. And so I thought, okay, well, she's Canadian. I'm Canadian. She's female. I'm female. So now I just need to be a neuroscientist, physician, and astronaut. And then it's done. And so, you know, as a kid, you don't really 
you think things are hard, you just break things down into steps. And that is literally what spurred me to pursue my um, degree in neuroscience, my medical career. And then something, somewhere along the way, I remembered that I was doing this for the love of space. Um, I applied to a master's degree at the International Space University in Strasbourg, France. And that really was the best possible decision I could have made. Um, that's where I really learned that people do make space medicine as a, uh, a career. I was lucky enough to intern at the European Astronaut Center, um, part of the European Space Agency in Cologne, and I worked in their crew medical support office. Um, and that was really the first time I saw that you could make space um, and space medicine part of your career. And that was really the genesis um, of the research I did later, the NASA internship I did later, um, at the space medicine work I do today. Um, as to your other question, where does the C aspect come into this? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And so when we talk about space um, and what that entails and sending humans to space, um, the three things you need to know is that space is hard, space is expensive, and space is trying to kill you. Um, so how do we prepare for this high risk, high reward environment before we ever send people to space? And um, that involves training in space-like environments in uh, on Earth. So environments that are somehow analogous to space flight. Um, so we call them analog environments. Maybe they're remote, maybe they're resource limited, maybe they replicate some aspect of the partial gravity environment. Um, and so um, C is no different. Um, there are examples of different underwater habitats um, or, uh, in the world, in the Florida Keys. Um, the Aquarius Reef Base is one of them. That's where NASA sends its um, astronauts to become aquanauts. Um, so they call that the NEMO missions, the NASA, NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations. Um, I've been down to Aquarius to do my dive medical technician training. Um, and then I got my aquanaut designation at the Jules Undersea Lodge, which is just 13 miles down from the Aquarius Reef base. Um, it's 20 feet of depth, whereas Aquarius is 60 feet of depth. Uh, and then the whole question about what is an aquanaut anyways, it's basically someone who has been um, breathing the ambient air pressure. So um, whatever the air pressure is at the depth you are for 24 hours, you're considered to be in saturation. Um, and so, um, that's what an aquanaut is. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do one aquanaut mission in 2019, and we can talk about what that what that entails more. And I'm lucky enough to be doing a reprisal of this mission in about two weeks' time. Wow! So, what is the record for living underwater, and what is your own personal record, Dr. Pandya? Yeah. So the current record is about. 75 days and um what's really exciting is um i uh, the commander of my previous mission so um we were part of the neptune mission everything in space and exploration is an acronym neptune is no different neptune stands for nautical experiments in physiology technology and underwater exploration that's a mouthful which is why we just say neptune um and so we were there for five days so that's my personal record um and my commander who is a seasoned Navy Special Operations Dive Commander pretty much lives in the water, is happiest in the water. He's actually down at the Jules Undersea Lodge right now, breaking the world record um, 75 days-ish, as I said. And he'll be there for a total of 100 days, and we will be rejoining him as a crew um, just as he crosses the, th the threshold into world record-breaking territory. So we are so excited to be a part of history, be there to support them, and do some really cool science along the way. 
That's so amazing. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that's new to a lot of people to understand uh, how this works. And what you also said was interesting because um, I, I do a lot of career work. I run Canada Career Counseling. Uh, we're located throughout the country and help people figure out their careers. And, you know, who knows about space medicine when they're a kid? Like, it's so hard to know that there's actually a career path in that. But you put yourself in the situation. You went to France. You figured out the program. You immersed yourself. And that's what I encourage everyone to do is to experience and and expand your reach. Yeah. And I think that's where the value of representation comes in. Because if I hadn't had this role model, Dr. Bondar, who, you know, showed that, you know, women go to space too. Um, physicians go to space. I don't think that I would have said, you know, if she had been, for example, a um, an engineer and uh you know, uh, a physicist, maybe that's the path I would have took. Um, but, you know, it was sort of like, well, that's, that's how Canadian women get to space. So that's what I'm going to do. And that's where it started. So you grew up in Edmonton, I imagine that, well, I'm, I'm hypothesizing that you had a family, or someone in your family who really encouraged you and, and pushed you to your limits in a good way, in a supportive way. Am I right? Um, I think it's just, um, yes, I think it's the, by by virtue of being um, first generation, my parents were immigrants, uh, well, they still are, they um, uh, they packed up all their things in two suitcases in the 80s, moved um, their entire lives from India and decided to start a family in Canada. They moved to the middle of Brandon, Manitoba um, in the middle of winter, minus 35 the, wind, the weather is not minus 35 in India. So they had a lot to overcome and adjust to. And so they they always worked extraordinarily hard. Like, you know, you just, what you grew up with as a kid is your normal. Um, and so for, for me, for me and my brother, it was just normal to work hard. Um, and then the standard was kind of set when my brother went to school because he's only 16 months older and he was always the top of his class. So I just thought, oh, okay, that's what you do. You go to school and you get top grades. Um, and so that's where it started. And then yeah, definitely mom never, um, you know, discouraged me if I said I was going to be an astronaut. I think she, she liked the work ethic and the education that implied. Um, and then, you know, there was, it was always sort of being also, it, the, it, there's this joke of, uh, amongst uh, I- Indian kids and uh, Im- kids who have immigrant parents that, um, you know, if you had 90%, why didn't you have 95%? If you had 100%, why didn't you have 104%? And, and my mom has literally said that to my brother when he has come home with 100%. So I think that's kind of part of where, where the bar was set as kids. It was set pretty high, um, but that was also very, very normal for us. So it was just, okay, that's what you do. You just go and go forth and achieve. Gotcha. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, from what I, I know. And I'm interested, though, because you were going to become a neurosurgeon at one point, and then you took a plunge into a different direction. And I, I know that that was hard for you. And it's so typical when people pivot careers to be quite emotional, stressed, feel like failures. Did you feel any of those things? Yeah, definitely. Um, so again, this was kind of part of the identity I'd carved out for myself when I was as young as 15. I was thought, okay, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon, you know, and um, for example, this is really silly, but when we were in high school and we were doing things that involved fine motor work um, and, you know, it wasn't getting it, my my friends would say, oh, do you really want to, like, you're never going to be a neurosurgeon. And then I'd, that would motivate me and I would succeed, like, succeed more. And so it really was something that was ingrained ingrained in me from a young age. And then um, 
somehow I matched to neurosurgery and I pursued that training for three years. And, um, you know, somewhere along the way, for a variety of reasons, it turned out that it wasn't the path for me. Um, it was all encompassing. Nobody wants a distracted neurosurgeon. Um, they All of my space activities at that point had ceased. And um, what, you know, it, it took a lot, um, a lot of introspection, but ultimately I, I switched to general practice and family medicine. And today um, my practice consists of women's health, rural emergency medicine, which I absolutely love and turned out to be the right place to be for someone interested in space. But exactly as you said, I, I felt like a failure. And that involved a lot of introspection and learning how to reframe that narrative, um, how to learn from that, um, and also learn what it meant to be resilient. Because as I was transitioning from neurosurgery to my new career, um, you know, one of the the, the postgraduate medical uh, education office. So that's kind of the, the guidance counselor for um, residents, you know, they would say, well, you need to learn to become resilient. And I thought, well, I don't even know what that means. And so then I started looking into it um, and I started learning that there's research, there's entire fields of research around resilience. And it's not something that we're born with. It's something that we learn to apply and there's different models and we can learn to um, apply those traits by breaking thing, things down, relying on our social supports, giving ourselves that positive self-talk, um, preparing ourselves for the best and the worst case scenarios and, um, you know, just trying to practice those in daily life. Wonderful. And I think this is so good for other people to f hear, right? Because you are a superstar and people often thinks that, think that superhumans like you don't go through adversity and would never go through feeling like you're a failure. What? You're doing neuroscience and you feel like a failure because you switched to medicine, general medicine instead, because you want to do space exploration. I mean, from the outside looking in, it always looks way different than what is going on in the brain. Would you agree? That is such a good perspective because, you know, at the time I thought, you know, I would be speaking to the, the again, the resident's office and I would say, oh, well, no one wants, you know, someone who's a quitter. No one wants someone who didn't, um, you know, finish through what they set out, set out to do, you know, I, I'll never be an astronaut at this rate. They're like, that's, that's your concern. Like you think that someone's going to say that. Um, and in, in retrospect, yeah, it is, it is a little bit of, you get, you get hyper-focused and you really definitely, you don't even, it's not even missing, um, the forest for the trees. It's missing the forest for like one very specific part of bark on one tree. Like you're just that into it. Wonderful. So I'm sure a lot of people describe you as superhuman and they have a tough time relating to you. So in terms of, wow, I could never do that. But what are your human qualities? What are the values or qualities you're most proud of as a human being? Um, that's a great question. I think stick-to-itiveness, uh, never ever giving up, working really, really, really hard. Um, and then also adapting and overcoming. I think um, just learning to roll with the punches um based on one of my missions i have the nickname of owl and um based on some of the stuff that we encountered um one of my teammates uh would say i would be unruffled which actually was a, i took as a huge compliment um 
coming, you know, given his background, um, he was special forces in the U.S. Army. So it's sort of like, you know, I really I really took that uh, as a compliment. And then also just having a sense of humor. You know, if you're on a mission with me, you're going to laugh. You're going to have um, a lot of fun. I, I uh, pretty much speak many languages and sarcasm is one of them. And how do you avoid having a massive ego given all your accomplishments? Because you strike me as someone who's really humble. So tell us more about that. Am I right? Well, it's it's really funny because as you're saying, um, you know, these, these words that um, I find very, very flattering, um, like superstar and really accomplished. And I'm thinking, but everyone I know in my life is like that. Like, you know, I'm surrounded by the best of the best. Like you look at my Neptune crew, you know, they're, they're engineers, they're expeditionists, they're, um, like I said, one's a former Navy dive commander, one's a lawyer who is, you know, is probably an engineer in a separate separate life. You know, these are all people pushing the limits. Um, some of my friends have been to space. Some of them are waiting to go to space. And it's sort of like when I see them in action, it's what can I learn from them? And oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough with my life. And so it's sort of like that stuff will keep you humble and your family and friends will always keep you humble. So um, definitely it's, uh, I feel like I'm just getting started. So you must have mentors or role, role models in your life. And you mentioned one of them, the first um, Canadian female in space, right? Am I correct? Definitely. Any others that have really mentored or, you know, been role models in your development, Dr. Pandya? Yeah, I would say uh, it's it's maybe a little bit cliche, but it's true. My mom definitely is a, you know, she is the, the bastion of, you know, working hard, um, and doing doing whatever it takes, and you know, doing it without complaint. Like she she works so hard, um, even you know at this age, um, and that's always been the case. So it's you know that's been definitely something that's been uh, inspirational for me. Um, and just the women I'm surrounded with. Uh, I work with so many amazing women in the space um, sphere in medicine, and they're just so accomplished they they're explorers in their own rights they're trailblazers and honestly just to count them as peers is it's incredible and it's uh, it's really fun to do this journey together and i'm sure many of them feel the same about you um and it's a strong community it sounds like yeah absolutely it didn't always um it wasn't always this way and it's sort of we find each other and also try to uplift others with us because um women uh, still aren't uh, by any uh, where the, the um, uh, at 50-50 parity in the exploration world, in the space world, in STEM fields. Um, so definitely we find each other, but we also try to make it easier for those who come after us. Wonderful. Which brings me to the whole competitive nature of becoming an astronaut. And you are an astronaut candidate. Um, and I want to understand how you deal with the voice that says only a small percent actually get into space. How do you stay resilient and determined uh, on this course? Right. Um, I don't even think about that end goal so much because at any point there could be something that dissuades you or disqualifies you um, because my field is space medicine. I've often said that the path towards becoming a space agency astronaut with the Canadian Space Agency, with NASA, um, it's littered with the hopes and dreams of medically disqualified candidates. So becoming an astronaut is something of a medical genetic lottery. Um, that's changing a little bit with the rise of commercial space and companies like SpaceX, Virgin, um, Axiom, Blue Origin. But um, you really, that's, so, so realizing like, the, you know, the end is not guaranteed, but the journey is so incredible. Like if you 
told me as a kid I would get to be part of Mars simulations and get to command these missions and get to live under well, under sea and do really cool science as part of this and be, do really cool technology development and even work with some of these companies um, like I do with Luxonic or you know advise some of these companies I, you know that's that's a pretty cool dream to realize as an adult and so um, you know the journey is just as important as that end goal. That's beautifully put because so many people don't focus on the journey and celebrate the moments in every day on whatever path they're on, right? They're always living in the future or living in regrets of the past. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen this firsthand. I've seen um, people close to me, they they apply once to the astronaut selection and they, they get they get admirably far, you know, further than, you know, most would, but because they weren't selected, because they didn't get an interview, you know, they are, they're like, that's it, I'm washed up. And that's, that's not the attitude at all. Um, it's to become a NASA or CSA astronaut takes so much grit. It takes applying so many times. Some of those people have applied 13 times, right? And it's making yourself a little bit better every single time. It's treating failure as a learning um, opportunity. It takes, it's also taking success and not just resting on your laurels, but saying, how do I replicate this? How do I do this better the next time? And taking those lessons learned and just getting back on that track and pursuing it. And that's not true for astronautics. That's true for life, I would say. I agree. What do you think of the word failure? Yeah, that's um, there's a great quote. It's all often misattributed to um, Winston Churchill, and it's uh, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It's the courage to go on that counts, and it's it's so true. Like if you have a pulse, you can get back on that horse and ride. And um, often, you know, I I explain success and failure as a continuum because success isn't always pretty and success isn't always perfect and failure can also teach you a lot as well. Um, and so we have to think about our failures in a way that is constructive um, rather than destructive. And then even our, our, our successes, you know, if you're running a race, if you're a competitive athlete, you're going to look at the game tape. You're going to say, okay, well, my stride was off there. How do I, you know, maintain a better stride? How do I maintain better form? Like if you're always seeking to learn and grow from every outcome, if you're looking at things at outcomes and learning opportunities, and instead of um, being as reductive as, um, success in failure, you're setting yourself up for performance, growth, and even more success down the road. Wow, I can see what an incredible keynoter you are. You're just so inspiring. And I know you speak a lot. Um, are you speaking a fair bit globally these days? Yeah, you know, um, 2022 was my first year on the road um, since the pandemic. And uh, I was lucky enough to give keynotes in uh, I was in uh, no, I was I was in Qatar in 2019. I was in Mexico last year. I was in Portugal. Um, I was in Japan. So it was it was a very uh, mileage heavy year. Uh, when I say I sometimes live out of a suitcase, 2022 was a banner year for that. Oh wow! Well, anyone who's heard you speak is very lucky. I will say that. Um, what have you learned along the way about what makes a strong leader? So you are a leader. In, in certain roles in your life and you've worked for other leaders, but what goes into being a great leader? Oh gosh, I think that is something that I'm still learning. And I think that every time you work with a team, you're still learning, um, being, you know, really saying these are my weaknesses and surrounding yourself by teammates who are, um, 
more qualified than you in certain respects, knowing them individually, knowing their strengths and weaknesses. And when I talk about leadership, I also view leadership um, as this, I call it the mortar between the bricks model, um, because, you know, it's so easy to think as leader being the one, you know, on the stage, you know, the one who has the titles, the one who's leading the charge, but really, um, the leader is also supposed to be the mortar between the bricks, because if you take a brick wall and you take out that mortar, there's no strength to that brick wall. It'll fall down. Right. And the leader's job is to be that strength by filling in gaps where the team has gaps and also by building bridges between other components of the team. Um, so I think that's really, really critical. And then also just being willing to own up to your mistakes, because when you're a leader, your mistakes are always on display for all to see. That's true of being a teacher. It's true of being a parent. And it's also true of being a leader. Um, and, you know, being owning up to it and also making a plan for that to not happen again and growing together with your team. Um, so it's being very, very open, vulnerable, um, and also being very, very hardworking um, for the end goal. And then the final part of it is selecting people on your team who are willing to walk through walls for you, but it meaning that you absolutely have to walk through walls for your team. Mm -hmm. You have to take the time to really care about them and be curious. And I see too many leaders these days as a, a leadership coach um, that want to be the bricks themselves. They want to be the ones, the voice. They want to take the credit um, versus being the mortar. And I think that's unfortunate. Your analogy is perfect. It's, it's about the mortar and supporting the other bricks. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're out there for the glory, if you're out there just to be a brick, it's um, you're, you're siloing yourself and you're also letting the letting the team down because you're not serving the need you're there for. Absolutely. Um, have you ever heard of No Ego by Cy Wakeman? I think so a very long time ago, but I haven't I haven't read it. She was on the podcast too, and she speaks a lot on ego and researches and writes, and she's a keynoter like you are, but she says along the same lines about how ego is one of the top challenges in workplaces and life. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, yeah, that can be something to manage. And it's, uh, yeah, it's always, it's always something that you, you have to recognize and um, maybe sidestep from time to time. No kidding. And I think you're doing a great job of that. And it's not easy. It's not easy. So when you think of humanity in general, and the challenges facing us as humans and our planet, um, what do you think are the biggest challenges? And how do you plan to continue to solve those? Oh, gosh, there. <laughs> that's a great question. There is no shortage of challenges. Um, everything from overpopulation, climate change, resource scarcity, fresh water, um, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, um, a, a minority rights. Um, the, you know, the the uglier part of humanity with um, human trafficking. And gosh, there's the, there's so much to solve. And um, I think just picking out one piece of that puzzle and using our talents to to help either uplift others, to give them voices to solve problems, to use some of our time and resources, um, you know, I think that's part of it. And so a lot of my work is focused on mentorship. I mentor at last count with about six organizations in the space sphere informally, space and space medicine. Um, and then, uh, you know, just also showing people that they have a voice. Um, I think that's critical because with that huge laundry list of problems, no single one person is going to solve them. And that's why there's 8 billion of us to help um, solve those problems. 
Are you optimistic about humanity's ability to solve these problems? Yeah, you know what? There's a this saying in the space sphere. Um, I I first heard it from Chris Padfield, and he, he you know he always just says work the problem, and so it's just saying like keep you know if you have a knot, keep working at it from different angles. If you have a problem, keep working at it. Um, bring in other people until you can gain some traction. And so it's it's not where are we going to solve this or not? It's that we have to keep working at it from multiple different approaches and facets. Really, really good. And he's he's done incredible work and he must be a role model for you too. Definitely. Yeah. He, um, I was lucky enough to meet him when I was doing my internship at NASA and, you know, that really hammered home for me, the value of mentorship, because he would spend time with myself and the other Canadian medical student. He would take us for coffee. Um, you know, he'd answer all our questions and, um, it's not like the man wasn't busy. Like he was training to be commander of the international space station. Like he had things to do, but like, he was just so gracious with his time. And you're just thinking to yourself, is this, is this real life? I am a fourth year medical student. This man has better things to do. Um, but, you know, he was just so gracious with his time and more than that, encouraging. Like I would, you know, we, we would talk about um, career aspirations and he would say, yeah, there's no reason you can't do all that. Like he was just awesome. Um, so it really does also hammer home the value of, um, you know, lifting each other up and having um, really awesome mentors. I had a client who was mentored by him too and said the same things, like he's just such a special, authentic human being. And I'm sure he'd be so proud to see, and I'm sure he's watching how far you've come since being a fourth year med student, Dr. Pandya. Um, yeah, you know, it's 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 very wild to think that the dreams that you had as a kid, um, as an adult, you could live that and more in ways that exceed your your childhood dreams. So it's, it's a pretty good life so far. No kidding. And an interesting life. So I want to know from you one book and one podcast you'd recommend. And if you want to talk about your own podcast, we'd be curious about that too. Yeah, sure. Um, for books. Uh, so on the, on the subject of Chris Hadfield, um, it, it, the, the Astronaut's Guide to Earth is uh, definitely an awesome book. It you know, it's not just for the space lovers. It uh, talks about that mindset it takes to succeed and, you know, to be humble and to work the problem. Um, so that was a great one. And podcasts, oh gosh, there's so many out there um, for the ones who love space. Um, the NASA podcast, Houston, Houston, we have a podcast is really great. It's informative. Um, it gives a behind the scenes look at various aspects of space flight. Um, so that's a really good one. And then, um, yeah, that would be my recommendations for podcasts. And uh, as for my own, I am lucky enough to be a podcast host with the um, WEMcast podcast. So that is the World Extreme Medicine podcast. And um, we, uh, myself and all the other hosts, we are lucky enough to sit down with, you know, medics who are everywhere, who work in space medicine, who work in dive medicine, who work in conflict zone medicine, um, you know, who have harrowing stories of resilience of, you know, uh, preparation, planning, fortitude. Um, so it's a really, um, really much, very much a privilege to be able to have someone's time and sit down with them one on one and, um, you know, really go behind the scenes in depth and, you know, hear about their journey. 
Wonderful. We're, we're going to share that in the show notes, the blog article, etc. So we are really excited to uh, get that out there to more people. And also, you've had some television appearances or um, documentaries or any of that? Yeah, I've had a few. Um, the first was in about 2017. Um, CBC had this really cool mini series called We Are Canada featuring prominent Canadians. So they featured my work with IIAS or the International Institute for Astronautical Sciences and some of the spacesuit testing we did out of Ottawa. So that was really cool. Um, and then I've had two um, shorts um, uh through branded content. So I did a, in during, in 2019, which was the 50th anniversary of the Apollo missions and the Apollo moon landing, um, Land Rover did this really um, cool short that was, that came out and was also um, paired with the Apollo first steps um, movie. And it's all, it's a little three minute short about my work in space, training, medicine, uh, science, exploration. Um, so I'm really proud of that. And then last year with Figs, the healthcare company, um, they, they debuted a, a, these colors that were um, called Space Navy and Mauve. And so they're very, like, they look very like Mars and lunar colors. So they wanted to feature space medicine um so i got to do a little bit of work with them as well which is really fun so if for anyone who um feels like spending a few minutes on youtube those are out there wonderful that and we'll share those as well in in the show notes um so final two questions that i ask all guests if you didn't have to sleep and you could use that extra time to do even more than dr shauna pandya already does what would it be Oh, gosh. Um, so probably catch up on my to-do list because that's a very long list. Um, and then one thing I miss a lot these days with my travel schedule is just um, music, composing, piano, voice. Um, so spending more time on that, that would be, um, that's, what, that's where that extra time would go to. So composing music. So you are missing that in your life, the piano that you do. Yeah, definitely. And from time to time, I'll find, you know, some time at the piano and just revisit some classics or, um, you know, get back to it. Um, but definitely, it's been something that's been a part of my life, um, something that I love, something that, you know, I've competed in. Um, so uh, definitely music. There's there's that song by ABBA, they got it right. Thank you for the music. It's so critical. That's a great song. Maybe you can have a keyboard you pack on your trips. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, if you could have one wish for a better world, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, I think more compassion uh, and understanding for each other. I think that's where it starts. We're quite divided these days, but we aren't so different. And um, for every difference that we find amongst each other, there's also a lot of connections to be made. And um, starting with that compassion and that hypothesis that, you know, everyone you know, as much as we think we're divided is also maybe a friend to be had uh, to be made. Um, I think that will, that's a, a good philosophy to start on. Absolutely beautifully put. Thank you so much for your time today. I feel like we covered a lot of territory. We didn't even get into your other skydiving and becoming a pilot and <laughs> this and that, but we'll leave that for another time. But I just want to thank you for all you're doing, uh, representing Canada, representing Alberta, and representing women and immigrants. I mean, you've you've just done an incredible uh, honor and, and keep it up. I mean, keep doing your great work with humility and, and resilience. Well, thank you so much for having me on your wonderful show. And who knows, maybe that'll be a part two. Um, but this was really great, Dr. Laura. I enjoyed my time here. Wonderful. Stay well and stay safe.
Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.